you, you know, you sort of hear as you hear all the cops <laughs> just, just playing. But, uh, uh, but today we're talking about what's the point. We're continuing this series, what's the point in the book of Ecclesiastes. And today we hone in on what's the point of heaven. What happens after this life that you see through this book of Ecclesiastes, this kind of poetic wisdom book. You see these writings all about this frustrated, this writer that's frustrated with what happens when I die, what's going to happen to the things I've done, the impact I've tried to make. And this book is, is kind of wild. I don't know if you've been, maybe even, hopefully you have, but kind of reading along or reading some other parts. We, we're trying to hit the vast majority of it, but can't hit every single verse. But I encourage you to be reading this. Uh, but it's kind of a, a hard one to just understand at the surface. I think it's important for us to be teaching through it and getting into it. Because some of the writing is even, I'm not sure at times if I'm reading the Bible or some sort of epic fantasy novels poem or something, like a poem in the Lord of the Rings. And so that's why we came up with this little game for us to play right now called Ecclesiastes or Lord of the Rings. All right? So, Lord of the Rings, you don't have to have read the books or have, you know, seen the movies even, but just think of kind of like this, like a, a fantasy sci-fi novel, right? Uh, about elves and dwarves and whatever. But, or you have this wisdom literature poetic book of Ecclesiastes. So what we're going to do is I'm going to put up a quote, and then you're going to have to say out loud whether you think it's Ecclesiastes or Lord of the Rings. Okay, are you ready for this? Um, okay, you got to say it out loud. I don't, I don't need to hear you, but someone near you needs to hear you. you got to be brave. All right, so here we go. Indeed his eyes were not satisfied with riches. Ecclesiastes or Lord of the Rings. All right. Ecclesiastes 4.8. Okay? So if you already got one wrong, I'm glad because it's just kind of to mess with you. Okay, so here we go. Let's try another one. Death is just another path, one that we all must take. That one seems... All right, we'll see if you're right or wrong. Lord of the Rings. Okay, that was Lord of the Rings. All right, here's another one. That which is has been already, and that which will be has already been. What? All right. This one's actually from our text today, Ecclesiastes 3.15. Uh, hopefully that one got you because that verse is why I did this game. Because I was like, what in the world does that say? Uh, well, we'll, well, I promise we'll explain. All right. The world is indeed full of peril and in it there are many dark places. Yeah, that's a little easier, I think. Lord of the Rings. It's the job that's never started as takes longest to finish. Oh, you're starting to mumble now. Okay, yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. Lord of the Rings. All right. All right. A poor yet wise lad is better than an old and foolish king. This one is a little tricky, I think. It's actually Ecclesiastes 4.13, okay? It actually says lad in there. All right. Uh, a hunted man sometimes wearies of distrust and longs for friendship. Yeah, that one's Lord of the Rings. Here we go. There is an evil which I have seen, and it is prevalent among all men. Huh? <laughs> all right, this one is Ecclesiastes 6.1. I thought that one was kind of Lord of the Ringsy. Uh, I mean, I'm going to skip this one because it's taking too long. But one ring to rule them all, one ring to bind them. One ring to bring them all, and in the darkness bind them. Uh, Ecclesiastes 13.1. It's crazy. Tolkien got it. There's only 12 chapters in Ecclesiastes. That's Lord of the Rings. Okay. Um, 
All right, so just a little fun with that, but just kind of get you into understanding that this has got some wild poetic literature that sometimes is hard for us to understand. And so we're breaking it down and we're talking about this. What's the point of heaven? And we're in Ecclesiastes 3, 11 to 22. If you've not already started to turn there, turn there in your Bible. It is right smack dab in the middle, right after Psalms and Proverbs. And we're in Ecclesiastes 3, 11 to 22. So here we go. Uh, He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity in their heart. Yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. Moreover, that every man who eats and drinks sees good in all his labor. It is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will remain forever. There's nothing to add to it. There's nothing to take from it. For God is so worked that men should fear him. That which is has been already, and that which will be has already been. For God seeks what has passed by. Furthermore, I've seen under the sun that in the place of justice, there is wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, there is wickedness. I said to myself, God will judge both the righteous man and the wicked man. For a time, for every matter, and for every deed is there. I said to myself concerning the sons of men, God has surely tested them in order for them to see that they are but beasts. For the fate of the sons of men and the fate of beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. Indeed, they have all the same breath, and there is no advantage for man over beast. For all is vanity, all go to the same place. All came from the dust, and all return to the dust. Who knows that the breath of man ascends upward, and the breath of the beast descends downward to the earth. I have seen nothing that is better than that man should be happy in his activities, for that is his lot." For who will bring him to see what will occur after him? All right. So that's this difficult passage. There's a lot in there. You can see it's poetic. You can see it's got the meaningless sort of, oh, everybody dies. Animals are the same as people. We all just go to dust. All of that. Okay. So we're going to look into this, kind of break this down of a few things of what does this mean when we think about what's the point of heaven or what's the point of what is next from this life? The first is for us just to see this, that God has set eternity in our hearts. This very sort of famous passage of verse 11, he has made everything appropriate in his time. He has also set eternity in their heart. That we have this longing inside of us. We have this this sense of looking forward, looking ahead to what is to come. And we want to know. And we, we, like, it it can be a thing that consumes us of what happens next. We even see this in modern, sort of modern culture on TV shows. There's a TV show now called The Good Place. And it's this whole thing of what happens after you die. And do we go, do good people go to the good place or do you go to the bad place? And it's just this modern conception of what people think happens after we die. And then there was even that, the show Lost. 
I don't know if you ever watched the show Lost, and it was this whole thing. Now, spoiler alert, if you're in the middle of watching it for some reason or whatever, just, you know, plug your ears and na 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 na. But the whole thing of Lost, we find out after this whole plane crash in this island, the whole thing ends up that it's like purgatory, and they're just trying to earn their way out of like whatever gets them to what's next after they die. That's what this whole show was. And so we have these ways that our culture is trying to define this of what is eternity? What is next? What happens after this life here. And we see the preacher here in the the author talking about what happens, what is this eternity is in our hearts, this sense of forever. And even when you think of forever, eternity, it's kind of a mind game to even try and think about that and understand that. I mean, it is like what my family thought of how long it took me to take my Christmas lights down because I finally just got them all down yesterday. That was an eternity, but uh, the, the garage is still messy. I still have to put everything actually away. But, you know, that's been an eternity. But I, I heard this, this other example of eternity, um, which I love, was thinking about Mount Everest and trying to get a sense of forever. And... It's as if someone was down by the ocean and on top of Mount Everest was a well with pink water. And that then to um, a sense of eternity is imagine this person by the ocean climbing all the way to Mount Everest, getting one drip of the pink water, then going all the way back down to the ocean, putting that drip of pink water into the ocean, and then doing that enough times to turn the entire ocean pink that's a glimpse of eternity. Isn't that kind of almost like, whoa, (laughs) that's heavy when you think about that. And it should be heavy. It's got to set eternity in our hearts of where will we spend that kind of time? Where will we spend that foreverness? And that can bring a dread on you if you feel like you don't know. And we all have people that we love and people that we care about. And we care about people that we've lost. And we wonder where are they? And we think about our own selves. And how will we be spending this forever? It's also interesting when you think about forever like this in this way. You think about people in this room. There's people in this room that are you know, that are teenagers or in their 20s, and there's people in this room that are in their 80s, that when you think about eternity, and you think about where when we'll be, like, however far, however many trips up and down Everest into eternity, <laughs> like, we are basically twins in this room. When you think about how, where it'll be, you know, in millions of years from now, the people that could be in the same moment on earth even if you're 60 years apart, you're basically twins. It's the same thing as like being the exact same age almost. That when you look around this room and you think about how we're different from one another, man, when, when it's millions of years from now, we are the exact same. And so we are brothers and sisters in this. And I hope that that stirs that up. Okay, so, but we've got this sense of longing. We've got this sense of eternity in our hearts. But then the passage continues to talk about how God's work And God's will remains forever. In this next chunk, you see this thing where he says, I know that everything God does will remain forever. There's nothing to add. There's nothing to take. For God is so worked that men should fear him. This is that fearing God and that healthy sort of reverence and awe of God and who he is. That there is this worshipful awe that is a good kind of fear that we should have of God. But that God's work remains forever. Everything that he does lasts. Even when we feel like what we do doesn't last, 
the work that we can do doesn't last, God's work lasts. But <clears throat> the crazy thing about just the whole way that everything in the Bible and everything with God sort of flips, flips the way we think on its head is that we think our work can't last, but God's will. But the beautiful thing is, is that God invites us to partner with him in his kingdom work. And so then our work in that does remain forever as we partner with God in the great work that he is doing. And we kind of have this whole sense that we think everything in this earth now will just burn up and die, and then we go to heaven. But that's not really how it works. And so part of what I want to talk about for us to understand today is it's not just about this earth being destroyed, our bodies being destroyed, and then a new one completely out of nothing is created, but that God is renewing, God is transforming. We are born again. We are resurrected. There There is a work that God is doing. And what's kind of crazy is that Greek philosophy has actually affected how we think about this more than the Bible. So the great Greek philosophers, right, like Plato, Aristotle, Socrates, their way of thinking has really affected the way we think about this stuff. Plato specifically uh, had this whole thing that when we die, our souls go into this state of disembodied bliss in heaven, that that is what happens, that our souls go into a state of just sort of bodiless bliss, and it's good and it's happy, but that's, that's heaven. Now that's just, that tends to be the way that we will often think about heaven, but that's not the biblical picture of heaven. Heaven isn't just this thing of leaving. We, we do get a sense of transformed bodies. And I'm gonna t- we're going to kind of continue to break this down. But that God is renewing, God is transforming, that there is this eternity will be spent in a new earth that is created. As this new heaven and new earth come. And that's how we spend it. And there's work involved in that. And we partner with God in his work. And so part of the resurrection of Jesus brings eternity forward and brings us this opportunity to join him again, like I said, in his kingdom work. And as we join him in that, we are getting a small glimpse into the work that we will continue to do in heaven. All right. So as we tend to people and this earth, as we care for people and nurture them and see, like join in God in seeing his kingdom come now, then we are joining God in that work that lasts and a work that will continue. Now, what's kind of crazy is this, again, this whole wild verse 15, uh, which I just, I love the way it sounds, that that which is has been already, and that, that which will be has already been, for God seeks what is passed by. And really, like, the, the point that I think of this passage, the ultimate point I think of this passage is that God is sovereign over all, okay? God is sovereign above all. God is above and outside of our understanding of time. That God knows, like, so that which is has already been. Like, God knows about that which is. That which will be has already been. God knows that which will be. And God is over all of that and has control and power all of that. And as things continue to change and as things continue to go along, it has happened over and over again. And God is seeing all of that, that God is in control, that God is sovereign over all. And we might get frustrated sometimes. We get frustrated at times with how God works. And I think the reason we get frustrated with how God works is because 
it's how God views time. We get frustrated with how God sees time, how God is outside of time, how God, you know, even when we think about eternity, we think of this life that we live as this, as an eternity is so long, but it's just this blip. It's just a breath. It's just a vapor. It's just a brief, brief moment. It's a snap of our fingers in light of eternity. And so everything that we're dealing with and going through, God has this view of this eternal sense of time, and we don't. So we can get frustrated, I think, with God because of that. And so what I want to encourage you, though, is that God is a plan. God is sovereign overall. So even if we get frustrated or give up, God has a plan. Even if we don't understand it, God has a plan. And even if we think it's all meaningless, God has a plan. And we submit to him. We submit to God in his plan. There's something I just love that happens here in this verse. As I was thinking about this verse and I'm thinking about the New Testament, I'm thinking about, I mean, this whole, this whole passage, this whole thing of God's work remains forever. So the work that God does remains forever. And that got me thinking about Ephesians 2.10. Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are his workmanship. God's work remains forever, and you are God's work. You are God's work. You are not just God's work. You are his masterpiece. God's work remains forever, and you are his work. You remain forever. You are that kind of good work. And then the next sentence should even blow your mind even more as we think about it. Created in Christ Jesus, works. We are not just his work, but we're created to join him in his work, in his good works. That's how he designed us. That's how he made us. And if we're created to do those good works, and we join in with God in that, then our work will last. Our work has meaning. It's not, it's not all just vanity and meaningless and pointless. It all has meaning, and God prepared it beforehand so we'd walk in them. God had a plan. God has a plan, and he made you in the, just the perfect way he wanted you to be, and he has a plan for you, and he wants you to join in with him in that work, and that work will last. Just let that soak in for a second, because I think that's pretty beautiful. It's, it's amazing. You are his work. And so our work remains forever, but then you think this next part. It says, God will judge, Okay? The end, the end times, God will judge and God will declare an eternal destiny for all humanity. Ecclesiastes 3.17 says this, God will judge both the righteous man and the wicked man for a time, for every matter, and for every deed is there. So we see this sense that as we think about eternity, as we think about what happens, there's this knowledge that God will judge, that God will judge both the righteous and the wicked. And God is the one that brings that, not us. That's up to God. But then you start to see, uh, you know, you start to see in Ecclesiastes as the preacher writes, and he just starts getting really dark. He just starts getting really, I think, just sort of lost in all of this and just is like, you know, uh, animals, beasts, us, we're all the same. We all go to the same place. It's all dust. Everything's meaningless. You know, he just kind of goes back into his meaningless, dark mode. And it's, it's kind of, there's a couple of interesting things, I think, about this part that where you see one is, okay, so if it's true, if he says that animals 
and people all go to the same place. Well, we know that that we as humankind, we will actually spend eternity in this new heaven and new earth. So then that means if animals and us go to the same place, that all dogs really do go to heaven. Okay? So all dogs do go to heaven. So don't cry. You know, you will see your doggy one day or your cat maybe. But, you know, it's going uh, <laughs> to... But, but no, I mean, that's like a funny sort of logical way to go with it. But really what he's trying to say is just that all goes to dust. He's just saying all creatures die. Okay? All creatures die. Even Psalm 49.12 says, But man in his pomp will not endure. He is like the beasts that perish. So even if we think we're so great, we will die. We all go to this dust. And it is true that the physical reality is that we will go back to dust when we die in our physical reality. But that is a very incomplete picture of even Old Testament teaching about what happens to people, okay? Or how humans are, are different than just all animals. Even back to Genesis 2-7, And the Lord God formed man of dust— from the ground and breathe into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being that there is this uniqueness this distinct relationship between human beings and God. And so, yeah, dust is that physical reality that we will go to dust our bodies. But we know also that Paul talks about being in the presence of Jesus when he dies. Okay? That we will one day be in the presence of Jesus. Jesus himself says, Today you'll be with me in paradise to the thief on the cross next to him. It's not just today you die and this all ends now and everything is meaningless. That's not what Jesus says on the cross. Okay? So Jesus has a new message for the preacher here. And so that ultimate reality is that in that resurrection, you are getting your body back. Your body is transformed and renewed. And so I want to kind of t- continue to take us through this little bit of a journey through some texts, I think, that speak into this in a New Testament sense. So Romans 8, 18 to 21 is another kind of fascinating, I think, passage for this. It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. We are suffering now in this present time, but there is a glory that is to come. Okay, so we are waiting and longing for this glory. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. It says, for the creation was subjected to futility. Now, I want to kind of camp on this, this word futility for a second. It says, the creation was subjected to futility. The NIV translates that as frustration. But what's kind of interesting is that this Greek word here that we have futility is actually in the Greek version of the Old Testament. So there's this Greek version of the Old Testament that was written in 3rd century B.C. It even could be the Bible that Jesus used, actually. It was a Greek translation of the Old Testament, all right? So this is not something that's just new. This is the Greek Old Testament around during that first century. In that, the Greek word that is used, that is translated there— is for vanity and meaningless in the book of Ecclesiastes, is this same thing here, futility. So the whole time that preacher, the whole time the, the, the writer of Ecclesiastes is, is saying over and over, it's all vanity, it's all meaningless, 
Paul then here is saying, for the creation was subjected to futility, meaninglessness, vanity, frustration, all right? Not willingly, but because of him, God, who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So, as he's writing Ecclesiastes, he's subjected to this futility, not willingly, but he's subjected to it, okay? Now, there's some interesting stuff, too. I love this. There's this Old Testament uh, scholar named Tremper Longman who talks about some of this stuff, and he says— Um, as we turn to the New Testament, we see that Jesus is the one who redeems us from the vanity, the meaninglessness under which the preacher suffered. Jesus redeemed us from this meaningless world by subjecting himself to it. We are subjected to futility, not willingly, but Jesus subjected himself willingly to live in this world and in all the meaninglessness and vanity of this world. And he experienced the vanity of the world so he could free us from it. As he hung on the cross, his own father deserted him. At this point, he experienced the frustration of the world under curse in a way that the preacher could not even imagine. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Galatians 3.13. And then he says, as a result, Christians can experience deep significance precisely in those areas where the preacher felt most oppressed. Jesus has restored to meaning, to wisdom, labor, love, life. By facing death, Jesus conquered the biggest fear— that the preacher had. As he's worried about death, as he writes Ecclesiastes, he's worried about death. He, Jesus conquered that fear of death and, and, they, and he shows us that the meaning of death is to enter into the very presence of God. That when we die, we enter into the very presence of God himself. And in that moment, there could not be greater meaning. Amen? And so what we see, so then we just want to ask like a little bit more of, okay, well, what will that eternal destiny include? And I want to just kind of walk us through even a couple verses, I think, that help us have an understanding of what we will be like and what it will be like when we die. For one, Philippians 3.20, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, see this, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. So this body that we have, I don't believe will just be like thrown out and then some new one, but this body will be transformed. This body, body that we have will be transformed into the likeness of Christ, okay? Into the body of his glory. And so we have a body. We'll have a body that we will live in this body for eternity, but it will be a renewed body, a perfect body. And like, sometimes it's hard to understand that, right? Like, what, what does that mean? Or like, what if I get cremated, some people think? Or what if I like die in a fire? Or what if I get blown up or something, you know? And then like, what happens, right? So yeah, your body's all messed up and our body's decaying even now. And our body then would be transformed. Well, one thing I like to think about is that whole notion, I don't know if you know this, this whole thing of that your actual physical self, 
the atoms and the molecules that you're made up of, all of these like completely change every seven years. That your, your self is like dying off and new, new things are being regenerated. So that today, the actual physical self that I am is completely different than the physical material that I was 10 years ago. That it's just, there's not one part of my physical material that's the same as 10 years ago. Which is wild, like if, you know, it's kind of mind-blowing when you think about that, but I'm still completely me, right? That I'm still completely me, even though I'm totally different at the same time. And so it might help you think of this renewed body being totally new and, and the old part of you being totally dead while it's still being totally you, <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> but, and, and that's just this way of our bodies being transformed and conformed into the likeness of Christ. And then I want to look at Revelation 21 and 22 a little bit, because that's the end of the book. And if you have your Bible, I encourage you, turn all the way to Revelation 21 and 22, last two chapters of the Bible, two verses here in the screen. But then I want to kind of look around in it a little bit and just look at some different things that it says, just kind of casually. So Revelation 21, 1 and 2 says, Then I saw a new heaven... And a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice. Oh, I'll stop there for a second. But that, this new heaven and new earth, this is where we will spend eternity, is in this new earth. And it has a city, it says. This new Jerusalem. And then even verse 3, it says that God will dwell among us and God himself will be with us. So we will be with God and there'll be no more crying or mourning or pain. That um, verse 10 of chapter 21 says, He showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. That <clears throat> heaven has come down and that we will spend eternity on this, in this new earth, in this new city. And this city is beautiful. Her brilliance was like a very costly stone. It says in verse 12 that there's walls. In verse 13 that there's gates. It says in 22, 2 that there's streets. It says there's no temple in it in 21, 22. Because God is the temple. It says there's no sun, there's no lights. Because Jesus is the lamp. That God is the light of this place. And it has all these descriptions with beautiful stones and, and uh, beautiful jewels and gems just trying to describe the beauty of it in any way possible. That there's this great beauty. And that as part of that, there is work. That as part of that, that we join with God in the work that he's doing. That we will spend eternity in this new earth, not just, we don't just leave our bodies into our souls going into this disembodied bliss, okay? But that we, our bodies are transformed and renewed and we spend eternity with God among us. I hope that's encouraging. And I hope for you, maybe you're sitting in this room and you think, I don't know where I'm going when I die. I pray that this would sound so beautiful to you. And to know that this is what Jesus wants for you, that you would join in with him now. This is actually a gift. It's a free gift. There's a, a verse, John 17, 3, where Jesus says, This is eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you. Jesus speaking to his Father. This is eternal life. 
that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Eternal life is to know God. Eternal life is to be with God. And what we know is from Ecclesiastes is Ecclesiastes has, it's like everything's meaningless, 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 meaningless. It's all meaningless. And then he gets to the very end, the very end of the whole thing. He says, well, I've concluded that the only thing you can do is fear God and keep his commandments. That's what matters. Fear God and keep his commandments. And so the problem is, is we can't keep his commandments. We break his commandments. We have all broken the commandments of God, and that is what is called sin. And so we have sinned against God, and we can't heal ourselves. We can't save ourselves. We can't fix ourselves from that. We would be destined for death and an eternity apart from God, not an eternity with God, but an eternity apart from God, separated from God. So to be able to spend an eternity with God in this place that he has described, this new earth, Jesus came, and Jesus came to die upon the cross after living a perfect life. He lived the perfect life that we can't live, and then he went upon the cross to take the punishment, to take the consequences of sin upon himself. And that is where then he took it all, paid it for you, and then he, he died and was buried, and he rose again on the third day. And when he rose again on the third day and came back to life, he defeated sin, he defeated death, and now he offers you this free gift of salvation. He offers you this free gift of being made righteous by him. And it's like he puts clothes of righteousness on you is how the Bible describes it. That you now appear righteous and are made righteous by his work through his death and his resurrection. And he offers that as a free gift. And so I want to tell you today is that if you would like to respond to that gift of eternal life, if you would want to spend that eternity in work, in partnership with him, then God says, join me. I offer this to you. You simply need to receive it. On the back of your outline, there's a prayer that you could pray there as an example. But what I want to ask everybody to do is, can we close our eyes and think about your life and consider this gift of salvation that has been offered to you. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Does that describe your heart towards God? Do you believe that Jesus is God? that he died and rose again, and that he offers you today this free gift of salvation. If you don't know where you will spend eternity, and you want assurance today that you will spend eternity with God in this new heaven and new earth, I want to ask you just to raise your hand right now. If you are not sure where you'll spend eternity, raise your hand. But you want to respond. You want to receive that free gift right now. Raise your hand. Amen. Amen. So what I want to ask is if you raise your hand right then, 
or if you're too scared to raise your hand, but you want to pray this now, to talk to God in a way like this. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I haven't been able to keep all your commands. Please forgive me. Please wash me clean. I believe that you are God, Lord Jesus. I believe that you died on the cross and rose again. I receive your free gift of salvation. And I want to join in with you in your work now. Help me to live for you now. In Jesus' name, amen. What I'd ask is if that was you or if, that, if you prayed that prayer or raised your hand, that 